Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week two, day three of our study of Esther. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Esther 2, 8 through 14. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to consider leading a small group using the 10-Week Bible Study. We've come up with some great books and resources to help make that happen. Head over to 10weekbible.com to see everything that we have available. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us today, God. Fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Esther 2, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Higai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Higai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. <clears throat> now, it's very often when we follow the stories of, of the Lord's people and the people who honor the Lord, people who follow the Lord, which Mordecai and, and, and Esther, by extension, since she's grown up in his household, they honor the Lord. They love the Lord. They know the Lord. And I've said this to, to people before, but the Lord doesn't promise that he will always save those who follow him, like the Daniels, the Esthers, the Mordecais in this world. He doesn't promise that he'll save them, but it's always the Daniels, the Mordecais, the Esthers that he does save. So there's story after story of the Lord rescuing and being there on behalf of, of the people who know and love and honor him. And in Esther's case, she's a, she immediately finds favor with everyone she encounters. Even this eunuch, he just, he takes a liking to her. He's like, this one's special. And so he gives her special treatment, gives her the best place, gives her the best beauty treatments. Everything for her is the best. And so, and Esther and Ahigai, they're, they're going to, they're going to hit it off in such a way where she trusts him and, and he likes her. Now, obviously he's a eunuch. There's nothing going on here. Uh, <clears throat> we understand from context that these people are probably made to be eunuchs so that they can serve in these roles. Not a, not a great, not probably not a life that any of these men would have chosen for themselves, but they probably weren't asked. And that's just the world that they lived in. But Esther is getting very special treatment from Higai. The Lord is is giving her favor. And the Lord often, he doesn't promise that he will give favor to those that, that love him in this way. But again, it's always the people like this that he shows this kind of favor to. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Now, this is an important thing. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but as we go through this, and, and this is my opinion here from reading this, I think that Mordecai had some sense of what was coming. <clears throat> We're going to find out later that he is a, a gatekeeper. He serves at the gate. He has some 
mid to low level position within the government or, or something like that. Somehow he's serving. He might've been, who knows, like a private contractor or something, but he knows that there's at least a hint, probably more than a hint of anti-Semitism going on amongst the nobles. And as we see who's going to get promoted to second in command here shortly, Haman, it seems like Mordecai has got his uh, ear to the ground and, and knows what's going on. Haman is going to be the biggest boogeyman, the biggest bad guy in Israel's history and probably second only to Hitler in, in his ambitions to try and destroy the Jews in, in that way. Uh, Hitler is like a, a reincarnated Haman, if you will, um, <clears throat> comes from the same uh, spirit, if you will. And so this is one of the biggest bad guys in Israel's history is Haman. And, and what he's plotting to do, uh, I think Mordecai, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I feel like these are kind of hints along the way that Mordecai sees what's up. He sees how things are going and he tells Esther, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. Don't just, if they ask you what nationality you're from, don't lie, but don't go offering it to anybody. Uh, and maybe he even went so far as to tell her to lie. Who knows? But he's telling her, just keep that hidden. Keep it hidden uh, what nationality you're from. I don't want anybody knowing for your own safety, Esther. And again, this is going to turn out to be wise. And I, I think Mordecai, he's a, a, he's a, he's, he's pretty sharp. He knows what's going down here. He knows, he sees what's coming. Uh, he can read the tea leaves, if you will. I think there's, there's more to that. I think the Lord is probably leading and guiding him, maybe even speaking to him prophetically. Verse 11, every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Again, this is very personal for Mordecai. It's not his daughter, but he's he's treated her like his daughter for a long time now. And so I imagine that he's heartbroken that she's been pulled into this, that she doesn't get to marry a, a good Jewish boy, whether it was for love or, her, or uh, an arranged marriage. She doesn't get to live the life of all of the rest of her people. And so even though she's going to have a very comfortable life, I'm sure Mordecai and maybe even Esther is, are heartbroken over how things have gone. Again, she's had it pretty rough up to this point. Her parents have both died. She's an orphan. And now she's taken into this world where she may end up in uh, basically this perpetual marital limbo as we're going to find out how this works. Verse 12 before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six months, uh, six with perfume and cosmetics. This is intense, right? So this is not some short-term fix that King Ahasuerus or Xerxes attendants have come up with for him. They're like, we're going to make these beautiful girls go through 12 months of cosmetic treatments of different types to make them even more radiant, more beautiful. So you're going to have to wait a year, King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus. You're going to have to wait a full year 
before we start parading them in front of you. And he's okay with that. He's, he's okay with waiting a full year to find the most beautiful woman in all of the land. That's basically what's going on here. And so this is a really serious, intense thing. I mean, for 12 months, these girls' only jobs, from what it seems, is to <clears throat> be beautiful. I mean, this is the biggest and worst beauty pageant in the history of mankind, it would seem. Verse 13, and this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. This is where, this is kind of a sad life. And again, these women are going to live out comfortable lives for the rest of their lives. They're going to live better than almost any other woman in anywhere in the kingdom of Persia. But what they're being used for, and there's children around, it'd be a good time for their little ears not to hear this because we should just be frank with this. Um, these girls are being used as the sex toy of this very powerful king. That's what this is about. If he finds her beautiful, uh, if he enjoys the evening, then she'll be called up from the harem of concubines to return as queen. Otherwise, she has one night with the king and then she's put away for the rest of her life, presumably. She will not be called back to be queen. And so this is, again, no woman throughout human history uh, or very few women throughout human history are probably jumping at the chance for this. If you had your choice, most women would choose love. Um, But again, in cultural context, this was actually a very good life for a woman because it could be very difficult and and very challenging for women in those days. So in these days, this may not be seen as such a bad life in reality. Probably for Jewish Esther and Mordecai, probably not excited about it because she's not getting to marry a Jewish boy. Right, she's getting pulled into the the courts of of these Gentiles, so not great on in those terms. So there's there's a lot of mixed things going on, even in this cultural context. There's a lot of reasons why Esther's not happy about this, and that she might get used as this thing for one night and then put away for the rest of her life. Again, a comfortable rest of her life, but not any life that most women would want. And that's what she has been pulled into. That's the life that we're talking about. That's what all of this is about in the book of Esther, is this really weird, creepy thing that's that's going on for poor Esther. And again, when we look at it through our lens, it's super weird, super creepy. Looking at it through their lens, <clears throat> I don't know if it if you really stopped and think about it, if it was any less creepy, it was just a lot more normal. 
This is just how things worked back then. And so it was more normative. I think that there's a lot of things that exist in our world today when it comes to relationships between men and women that are very normative now that people back then would look at and be like, this is creepy and screwed up and y'all are, y'all are messed up. And they'd probably be right about a lot of it, but it's normal to us today. And so if, if we can kind of put on that hat and understand things in those way, what, what's normal to us would have been horrific and unthinkable and creepy to people back then and and vice versa. But even still in this day and age, I think Mordecai probably would have hoped better for Esther. This is, we're going to see even the way that, that Mordecai talks to Esther later in the book, he's almost acknowledging like, this is not what any of us would have chosen Esther. This is not the thing that I, I had hoped for you all these years raising you. This is not how I saw your life going. It's not how I necessarily wanted your life to go, but he's like, we're basically going to get to the point where, where Mordecai is going to tell Esther that you got to play the hand you've been dealt. And this is the hand you've been dealt. And this is how it's going to go. But we know because you're reading ahead and you're reading multiple times, you know exactly how this is going to go for Esther. In the end, the Lord's got his hand on her, and it's not going to be quite as bad for her as it is for some of these other poor girls. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.